There are countless songs that recount stories of being done wrong. There are rock songs, pop songs, and a lot of country songs that tell the story, that tell the pain and the feeling of having someone else do you wrong. In fact, I found a website that had the top 75 country done me wrong songs. Yep. Top 75. So, in other words, this is the top 75. The list goes on and on and on. The list was full of all the top names in country music, past and present. From Hank Williams and Tammy Wynette to Rascal Flatts and Carrie Underwood. There was one song that you may be familiar with that I chose out of the bunch. It's a song by Miranda Lambert. I don't know if you know the song. It's a song where she sings about taking a different approach to having been done wrong. Let me just say say from the outset, I don't recommend this approach. But I will read you the lyrics of the song. It's a song called Gunpowder and Lead. (laughs) Country Road 233, under my feet. Nothing on this white rock but little old me. I've got two miles till he makes bail. And if I'm right, we're headed straight for hail. I'm going home, going to load my shotgun, wait by the door and light a cigarette. If he wants a fight, well, now he's got one. And he ain't, and he ain't seen me crazy yet. He slapped my face and he shook me like a rag doll. Don't that sound like a real man? I'm going to show him what little girls are made of, gunpowder and lead. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's half past 10, another six-pack in, and I can feel the rumble like a cold black wind. He pulls in the drive, the gravel flies. He don't know what's waiting here this time. Hey, I'm going to go home, going to load my shotgun, wait by the door, and light a cigarette. If he wants a fight, well, he's got one, and he ain't seen me crazy yet. He slapped my face, and he shook me like a rag doll. Don't that sound like a real man? I'm going to show him what little girls are made of, gunpowder, and lead. His fist, fist is big, but my gun's bigger. He'll find out when I pull the trigger. Wow. Now let me go out on a limb here. Let me go out on a limb and say that this is not the way to handle being done wrong. This is not the way. This is not the way to do it. There are some ways to handle it when someone has done you wrong, and this is not one of those ways that I recommend. Tonight we're going to look, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that tells us what to do when we're wronged, how to think about it, and how not to think about it. Peter is continuing to encourage and exhort the first century believers and also us, 21st century Christians, in our conduct. In our text that we'll look at tonight, Peter gives us principles on how to handle being done wrong. So let's look at this passage and learn what God has for us in dealing with being done wrong. The first, I got just a couple points tonight. The first one is no one can do you harm. No one can do you harm. Let's pick it up. I'm going to read the entire passage tonight, beginning at verse 13, and then we'll go back to the top. It says this, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, You are blessed and do not be afraid of their hearts, nor be troubled. 
But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. And when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. How, what do you do? How do you handle it when you've been done wrong? Well, first of all, the first point, the first thing to understand is no one can do you harm. No one can do you harm. This is the first thing you need to learn when dealing with being done wrong. The first thing for the Christian to understand is that no one can do you harm. You say, well, that's not true. People have done me harm. I don't agree with that statement. Take it down off the screen. What are you saying? Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's take a look at this tonight and see what the Apostle Peter is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3.13, the beginning of our text says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? In this section and in this question, Peter is contrasting the words harm and later in the subsequent verse, suffering. The words harm and suffering. And he's contrasting them and he's distinguishing between them. He asks the question, Peter agrees that someone may cause you to suffer, but he is asserting in the question that no one can harm you. Here, I believe Peter is echoing the words of the Lord that are found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 28, where the Lord says this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So there are those that can cause suffering to the body. They can cause suffering to your emotions. They can cause suffering in the here and now. But that is to be contrasted with doing your soul harm. And the, the, the Lord is saying that the person who's saved, the person who's a Christian, their soul cannot be done harm. And so Christian, you're set free. No one can do you harm. No one can do you ultimate harm because you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. You're not on your way to hell. You're not on your way to destruction of the soul. You're not on your way to that place. You're on your way to heaven. And because that, the question is, who is he who can do you harm? Who is he? We can think of all the people right now that maybe have done us cause suffering in our lives. Maybe they've, they've said things about us. Maybe they've treated us in such a way. And, and, and we feel like, oh, we, oh, harm has been done with us. Harm has been done with us. Yes, they've caused us to suffer. They've, they've caused us maybe anguish in our emotions, in our mind, and they've caused us that suffering. But Christian, be set free tonight. No one, no one, if you're a believer in Christ, no one can do you harm. Amen? There are those that can cause suffering to the body and to the emotions, but they cannot harm the soul. Pastor John Corson has had this to say about this verse. He said this, To the early church, Peter says, If you choose to do good in hard times, you can, who can really harm you? Oh, people might hurt you, but they can't harm you. They might tie you to a tree and ignite you. They might throw you to the lions that devour you, but they can't harm you because you'll end up in heaven. Amen? 
Think about those martyrs that were tied to poles and burned at the stake and thrown to the lions in the Roman Empire. You, you think here they were having to, to, to grapple with, to, take, to grasp hold of someone causing suffering to their physical body. But I know the stories, if you've re- read a, even a tiny smidgen of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, that some of those martyrs went happily to their death knowing that no one on this side of eternity could do their, their soul harm. And they went, and, and, and even Stephen... Even Stephen, who was one of the first martyrs in the book of Acts, remember what he said when they were stoning him? I, I, see, I see heaven open, right? He was ready to meet his Lord and Savior. He knew that no one could do him harm. And Christian, that's the, the posture that we have to, to have. Those who live for heaven have an entirely different perspective on life because they're able to take a lot more things less, a lot less seriously. And, and it's not to diminish the suffering that someone might bring to you, the, the, the verbal assault, even the physical assault that maybe you have had to endure in this life. And, and I don't mean to diminish that at all. And do, do not take me wrong in that. But for the Christian to put it into perspective and to realize that no one can ultimately do you wrong. Here the, the question is this, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good. If you become followers of what is good. I want to just explain that word followers there. Um, the word followers there is an interesting one. The best texts read there, zealots. If you become a zealot in doing good. As Christians, really, we're to be zealous for good. We're to have a zeal for the Lord and we're to have a zeal for doing good. If you, if you don't have a zeal for the Lord and you don't have a zeal for doing good, then you, you, need to, you need to check the vital signs of your spiritual life, amen? Because the Christian should have a zeal for the Lord and a zeal for doing good. And he says, look, if you've, if you've become a zealot in that sense, if you've become zealous for doing good, then who can harm you? If you're on God's side, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, no one can do you harm. I remember one time I went over to a friend's house. This was many years ago, probably 15 years ago. My friend, Sean Harrison. And I, I remember going over to his house on one particular occasion. And I looked on the counter and there was a bag from Best Buy on the counter. And it literally was overflowing with CDs and DVDs of concerts and, and all this stuff. And I, and I looked over and I said, Sean, what's this? And, and he, he just said to me, I'm a little overzealous when I go shopping. I'm a little overzealous, you know. And, 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 and so we, we actually coined a term that day um, to describe both of our personalities. And it was this OZ. We called ourselves OZ, overzealous. And, and, and the bottom line is for Christians is that we, we need to be zealous. There, there are some things um, that we need to be uh, zealous about. We need to be zealous for the Lord for the things of God, and we need to be zealous for doing good. And this text says, if we are zealous for the Lord and for doing good, then no one can harm us. No one can do us harm. Who is he that can do you harm? And so maybe it's a little tweak of the perspective. Maybe it's a little tweak of the perspective that we, when we look at, you know, because I'll be honest, when you're, when you're dealing with somebody that's afflicted some type of a suffering in your life, it's, it's, it can consume you. And it's all you can think about is, is how you've been done wrong. And, 
the last thing you can think of, the last perspective you can have in your life is an eternal perspective, and it's the exact perspective that we need in that situation. It's an eternal perspective. And so be zealous for the Lord, be zealous for doing good, and no one can actually do you harm. The second point tonight is this. Suffering for doing good is still blessed. Suffering for doing good is still blessed. Look at it, verse 14. Peter says this, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So Christian, no one can harm you, but even if, you, if they do cause you to suffer in some way, you're still blessed. You're still blessed. If you suffer for doing good, you're blessed. Again, I believe Peter is echoing the Lord. Here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, we pick this up from the Sermon on the Mount. We should be well-versed in this because we did a whole study in the Sermon on the Mount. But this is what Jesus said. He said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. There's going to be, people are going to say all kinds of crazy stuff, and especially we're living in a day and age where the stuff that is said of Christians and the things that are said of us are, are all over the map. I mean, we're being called everything under, you know, everything in the book, right? Everything in the book. And I remember earlier in, this, in, this, in our study in First Peter where it, he talked about the, the, the people turning what is good and calling it evil and calling what is evil good. And, and just kind of this complete upside down world. And that's the world we live in. And so as you go out to do good, you're going to be literally called evil. You're going to have people saying, well, that's evil to do that. That's evil to say that. that there, there's all kinds of quotes floating around on, on, on the Internet nowadays. And, and some of them are true. You have to fact check. You have, you have to do your own fact checking when you see stuff. Trust me, because you see people like they see something on Facebook and then they post it. And they're like, oh, wait a second. That wasn't right. I, I fact checked that. and That wasn't correct. But, but really, the, 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 to speak the truth in our, in our culture now is actually an offense to this world. And you will be called, in, in, in many circles today, you will be called evil and you will be reviled for literally even daring to bring up the truth and especially the truth of God's word, to even dare speak it. Uh, and so Jesus is, is saying this in Matthew chapter 5, and I believe Peter picking up on it. Here, blessed are you, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So even when they do this, Christian, oh man, we need to get this through my head. I need to get this through my head because I'm reading the same news you're reading. I'm reading the same articles. I see the same headlines that you see. And when you see this stuff, you go, oh, and, and, and it can kind of just burden your heart. But we need to, be, we need to realize that that this has been happening for thousands of years. In fact, in the second verse there, in verse 12, Jesus actually says that this is, this is what happened to the prophets. This is what they did to the prophets. 
The prophets would come to speak the word of the Lord, to speak truth, and they would just be reviled and spoken of evil in all kinds of ways. And so Peter says, be happy in suffering, in difficulty, in persecution. Why? Suffering, difficulty, heartache, and tragedy, it sets our sights on heaven. We have this perspective of a, of a heavenly mindset, of an eternal mindset. Amen? Now look at that verse 14. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And I think a key phrase there is for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. If you suffer for righteousness' sake. I think, I think that, that little phrase there, we need to not leave that out. Just if we suffer, we're blessed. No, if we suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Amen? Actually, Augustine had a good quote on this verse uh, that I found in the commentaries on the word righteousness in verse 14. He said this, Not the suffering, but the cause for which one suffers makes the martyr. Right? So you have to look at, why is it that you're suffering? Oh, I'm suffering. Why is it that you're suffering? Not the suffering, but the cause for which one suffers makes the martyr. Sometimes we suffer for righteousness' sake. Sometimes, as the Lord said in, in, in Matthew 5, we suffer for the Lord's sake. Sometimes we suffer for our own dumb sake. Amen? Sometimes it's our own doing. Sometimes we suffer and it's not blessed. Have you ever been suffering and you just you don't feel blessed? You read, a word, you read a verse like this, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And you're suffering and you're suffering. And you're like, hey, this don't feel blessed. This don't feel happy. This don't feel good. This don't feel blessed. Well, maybe you need to check the reason why you're suffering. And it's probably not for righteousness' sake if you don't feel blessed about it. It's probably not for righteousness' sake we're probably suffering for, let me say it, stupidity. Some type of stupidity of some kind. Peter goes on here. He says, he says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Again, I think echoing the words of Christ. The echoes of, of, of the words of the Lord are all over this passage. Jesus said to the disciples in John 14, John chapter 14, verse 1, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And do not be afraid of the threats, nor be troubled. Sometimes I think you can lose... When you're going through a time when you're suffering, someone is doing you wrong, someone has done you wrong, it's one of the easiest times in life to lose sight of the Lord, to lose sight of his presence in our lives, to lose sight that he's with us and, and that we're not to uh, allow our hearts to be troubled, that, that he, he, he does not want our hearts to be troubled about anything. He, he says, you believe in God, believe also in me, trust in me in that situation. We've got to just trust him. Sometimes what happens is we give place to that situation that's happening. In our lives, that hurt that's come into our hearts, our lives. We give such place to it. We give such place to it that it just consumes us. It just consumes us. It consumes our thoughts. And we're not to be troubled by it. So how is it that we cannot be troubled by something that has literally 
come into our lives and happen to us and is literally consuming us, consuming our minds. How is it that we can avoid this? We need to put the Lord in his rightful place in our life. We need to put the Lord in his rightful place in our life. Look at it, verse 15. He says, but sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Peter says here in verse 15, to sanctify the Lord in your hearts. And you just ask the question, well, what does that mean? (laughs) What does it mean to sanctify the Lord in your hearts? Other manuscripts render sanctify the Lord God in your hearts as sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. The simple meaning of the injunction is that at the very center of life, there is to be one Lord, and that is Christ. Other lords are permitted to invade our hearts. We might allow other things to come in. We might allow circumstances, hurt, suffering, whatever it may be. We allow that to consume. We allow that to to come in and, and take a place in our lives. It consumes our thoughts. It consumes our emotions. It consumes our energies. It, it consumes everything in our lives. And when this happens, we've got to stop. We've got to stop and we've got to say, you know what? I, I must sanctify the Lord God in my heart, in my life. I've got to put Jesus in the rightful place in my life. I've got, to, I've got to dwell upon him. I've got to worship him. I've got to focus on him. I've got to make sure that he's the Lord of my life. Because all these other things would seek to, to consume our time and consume our thoughts and consume our energies in such a way that we give so much place to them that, that just that sweet communion and that right place of the Lord in our lives be, might even become feel, feeling distant. And we don't even feel the benefit of, of, of just that relationship with Christ that we have. And so we've got to put Jesus in that rightful place in our lives. And when we put the Lord in his rightful place in our lives, that place of complete lordship, it gives us tremendous hope. You know, when you, when you put the Lord in that rightful place in your life, when you're like, man, Jesus is Lord of my life. He, he's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Not just out there, but in my life. And when you do that... Oh, my goodness, it, it puts such a perspective in your life. It puts such a perspective in your mind, in your situation, and it gives you a hope. I mean, you, you, can, you, can, you can spend some time in worship. Maybe it's a powerful service. Maybe it's a time of devotion. Maybe it's a time of prayer, and you just have that time with the Lord where, man, Jesus is on the throne of your heart, and it produces such hope in your life that you feel like, man, I could go out and take on anything. Anything could happen today. Anything could happen because, man, I, I, I'm ready to just to speak the stuff. You're ready to preach. You're ready to teach. You're ready to proclaim. You're ready to, you're ready to shout. You're ready to jump in the river. Why? Because God's on the throne of my heart. And, and man, I'm ready for whatever, whatever might come along because, man, I'm ready to take it because the Lord is the Lord of my life. And when, and when you do that, it gives you tremendous hope. And this is what Peter talks about here. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When you sanctify the Lord God in your heart, there's going to be such a hope evidenced in you, evidenced in your your demeanor, in your mindset, in the way that you talk, in the way that you carry yourself. I got to wonder how, how many times when when we're just, we're not saying the right things and we're not, we're not in that place, what's the culprit of it all? Have we allowed those things to enter in and we need to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts? 
We need to put Jesus in that rightful place in our hearts and, man, just let the hope of Jesus once again fill our hearts, once again just be the center thing in our lives. Man, when you think about the hope that you have in Jesus for all of eternity, what is it that could happen today that is going to bring you down? What is it? What is it? Is it a sickness? No. Is it what's happening over in, in, in the Middle East? No. What's happening with the economy? No. Why? Because you have a hope that God has given you. And this brings us back to how, how Peter actually opened up the whole letter back in the first chapter. In chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he said this. This is how he opened the letter. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed for the, to be revealed in the last time. Amen. You talk about what hope? What hope? Now, 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 now Charles gets to, get to preaching about this hope. This is the hope that Peter's talking about. When he's talking about hope, he's not talking about hope for like your birthday next week. Trey? He's not, he's not talking about hope for a raise or a, a week of vacation or, 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 or even the meal tonight when we get out, when we leave here, you know. No, he's talking about this. He's talking about because of the abundant mercy of God that he's given, he's, he's begotten you again. He's caused you to be born again of the spirit and he's given you a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and this is what Peter's talking about. So when you sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart, it gives you and reminds you of the tremendous hope that you have in God. And, and, and this is the type of stuff that we need to be reminding ourselves of all the time. When we're going through, when we're, when we're being mistreated. When, you know, when it's not going great at, at, at the job. When things are tough. Stuff, stuff's going on in our lives. What do we need to remind ourselves as Christians? As Christians, we need to come back to the actual foundational thing that Jesus Christ has done in our lives and realize that we have a living hope. And I, I remember from that message that when we opened up this, this study, if you go back on the podcast, the, the message is called Hope Not Hype. You remember that one? Yeah, that was the message that we spoke from that chapter. Hope Not Hype. I think a lot of Christians are, are they're skating by today on a bunch of hype, skating by on, on all kinds of stuff. We've got we've to come back to the hope that we have in Christ. And when we do that, wow, it's going to change our outlook. It's going to change our demeanor. It's going to change how we look at things. Amen? And because of this tremendous hope that we have in our lives, others will look on and wonder They'll look on and wonder and in amazement. And they'll say, what is this? What is this that's in your life? What is this? You, you, you're always upbeat. You always seem to be happy. You, you always seem to, to have a, a good perspective on things. You always seem to, 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 to see the, the brighter side of things. And, Peter's, and so Peter tells us to be ready to give a defense of the hope that's in us. To give a reason. To give a defense 
of, of, the, of the reason that we have this hope. To be ready in that, in that moment to, to be able to speak about why you have the hope that you have in your life. To give a true defense and we're to do it in meekness and fear. But he says, be ready to give a reason, a defense of this hope that is in you. Now the word defense here in verse 15 is, is, uh, has become a bit of a, a famous word in the Greek. And it is, it is the word apologia in the Greek. And um, I don't have a slide for that. Apologia? No, I thought I did. Anyways, um, apologia is the Greek word. And it means this, a verbal defense, a speech in defense, a reasoned statement or argument. So Paul's saying, hey, you need to give a reasoned answer. You need to be ready. You need to be ready to explain. I think a, a believer should be able to, well, you know what? I, I, I believe in the Lord God. I believe that, 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 that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He, he died on the cross. He re- rose from the dead. He paid the price for sin. And even deeper. And we'll get into that here in a second. And so the apologia is, the, 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 what we've done is we've taken that word, apologia in the Greek, and, and now there's a whole area of Christian philosophy and theology called apologetics, okay? And it's taken from this word. And so apologetics, there's one way to define it. It's a defense of the faith. It's a defense of the Christian faith. Now, when people say apologetics, you say, oh, well, are you giving an apology for, for, for why you're a Christian? No, no, no. This is not giving an apology, about why you're a Christian. This is apologia. This is giving a defense. This is giving a reasoned argument, presentation of why it is that you have hope in Christ, why it is that you can put your faith in Christ. And and so this is apologetics. Another way to define it is this. Apologetics is speaking in defense, is the discipline of defending a position, often religious, through the systematic use of information. So I'm not going to go into a a long, detailed thing on apologetics tonight. Um, but I did want br- to mention it. Now, here's what I am going to do. Next week, I am going to do a full-on apologetic message. Um, and the title of it, I'm going to give you the title of next week's message. It's going to be called this, Why I Am a Christian. Why I Am a Christian. And I'm, I'm going to get down to about as nitty-gritty as you can. I'm going to go all the way back to like before time and space and explain why that it is a rational thing to believe that there is a God, there is a mind, there is a creator that put this whole thing into motion. And I'm going to bring that all the way forward as to not only why you can believe in a creator, but you can believe in the God of the Bible, you can believe in the Bible, and you can believe in the Bible, what it tells us about Jesus Christ, that he came to this earth, he was born, died on the cross, was buried, resurrected on the third day, and ascended into heaven. A Christian does not believe any of those things because of blind faith, just because, like, you know what? I think I'll just, I'll just hope in that. I'll just, I think it's a good idea. It sounds good. Somebody told me about it. It sounds like a good thing. I just, I, I'll put my faith in that. No, there's a well-reasoned understanding of why you, where you arrive at all those points. And so I'm going to do that message next, next Saturday night, Why I Am a Christian. And uh, so don't miss next week and bring somebody with you. 
that doesn't know the Lord. Bring somebody with you. Now, Peter finishes this thought of giving a defense or reason for your hope. Peter talks about people defaming our good conduct. When you're doing good, you're, you're suffering for righteousness' sake, you're, 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 you're living for the Lord, maybe you're proclaiming the word, you're standing on the word, maybe you're, maybe you're defending a, a, a biblical principle. And the, the, the defamation comes. The reviling comes. People that are bringing the defamation. They're saying, oh, look at these people. Or look at this guy. And who does he think he is, you know, saying this type of stuff? When we conduct ourselves in meekness and fear, and that type of defamation comes, here's what's going to happen, Peter tells us. That you stand your ground. You live for the Lord in meekness and fear. And what's going to happen is that if that person has anything going on in their own conscience that they're going to go back and when they think about it, sit and think about what they've said, they're going to ultimately become ashamed of what they've done. If not, then they have reached a point of being past feeling that the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. There's a whole concept of being past the feeling. He talks about having a seared conscience. And when someone has a seared conscience, it's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous place to be because they can no longer even be uh, ashamed of their own conduct and they do nothing but revile the conduct of other people. And it's a, it's a dangerous place. And so for that person, then we've got nothing better to do than to pray for them to pray for them and, to, and, to, and just to lift them up before the Lord because they're in a very dangerous and lost place. But for the person who's got a little conscience left, the person who's got a, a little feeling left in the, in, the, in the conscience, ultimately they will, be, they will come to a place of being ashamed for speaking against you in that way. When people say the things about us those things fly off the tongue, but when they stop to think about what they've said, they will be ashamed. And then Paul or Peter closes this section out where he says, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So if you're going to suffer, if you're if you're going to to go through any suffering, if you're going to be defamed because of your speech, don't let it be evil speech. Don't let it be dumb speech. It's, it's, if it is the will of God for you to suffer, it's better for you to suffer for doing good than to do evil. And so we've got to just, going back to that point of being zealous if you have indeed become followers of doing good, if you have begun, become zealous for doing good, then it is better. It is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, none of us wants to suffer. But if we must, may it be for doing good and not doing evil. Now, I'll just say one more thing and then we'll, we'll bring it to a close tonight. Sometimes we can bring the, a little bit 
we can bring the reviling upon ourselves in Christian circles. Sometimes Christians are obnoxious and offensive in the way that they present things. I've seen, I pray that I've never done that. Maybe I have. Maybe I've been, I've been offensive in the way, you know, that I, I pray that I never have. But I've seen people doing, trying to present the love of the Lord in a completely unloving way. In fact, I see there's, there's actually a guy here in town that stands out on the corner of US 1 and O'Galley. And he, he, I guess he couldn't think of anything better to put on his sign. <laughs> it just says, Jesus is right. <laughs> and, 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 he's hand, and, and, and he just stands there and he, and he holds out a Bible like this. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's really going to win hearts and minds and souls. You know, I, I, I'm not sure. Let me, let me just say this. I think sometimes we need to be careful. We need to do what we're doing in meekness and fear and love. Because Paul, he told us about love in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember that? He says, um, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, speaking the truth in love, right? Speaking the truth in love. And so if I was told once, That it, it, it is not love that is motivating you to speak, then you should maybe think about not speaking. <laughs> if, it, if, if love is not the motivation for you speaking for that, to that person, it, it would do us good to be quiet and wait until we are motivated by love to speak in that situation. So what do we do when we've done wrong? Well, I think mostly it's a change of perspective, realizing he, who is it that can do you harm, Christian? If you become zealous for doing good, who is it that can do you harm? No one can do you harm. It can only cause suffering. And if you suffer for righteousness, it's a blessed. It's a blessing. Put Jesus at the center of your life in the midst of anything that's going on in your life and see if the hope of Jesus doesn't rise up in your life and be ready to give an answer to the person who asks why.